0: Hi, this is J. Diane Dotson, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast, The show
1: whose jokes are so bad, it encourages Big Brother to watch you instead. Our show is brought to you
2: by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 134, She'll know that when she puts on the little red shirt and joins Forster on the research station in discovering that what these blinking lights are, that she didn't leave her family destitute and without hope. Because the red shirt, Widows and Orphans Fund has her back and what's left
1: of her telepathy. Alright guys, our guest today is an amazing sci-fi, fantasy, and horror author who also hosts a video-based interview show with other authors on her YouTube channel. So that's worthy of a checkout, by the way. I may or may not have watched a few of those today. Anyway, uh, we are thrilled to welcome J. Diane Dotson to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Diane.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so Nick and I, and and there is a third, her name is Kathleen, we mentioned that uh, pre-show, but uh, all three of us are tremendous nerds and we admit that pretty freely and openly. One of the things about being nerds is that we love a good origin story. We like to talk about beginnings and how people got to be who they are and what they are, because it helps us as as fans, as interviewers, as nerds, to understand the person sitting on the other side of the virtual table. And why they are. Exactly. Can't forget the whys. (laughs) So in the origin story, in the beginning of J. Diane Dotson, amazing author, What influenced you at a young age to become an author, and who were some of your literary idols?
0: Well, I grew up in East Tennessee in the Tri-Cities area, Kingsport, Johnson City, Bristol, but I mostly grew up in a little tiny unincorporated area at the time was called Gray, G-R-A-Y, and I was mostly alone. My older siblings had empty nested And I had this whole sort of universe I developed around me to kind of keep me company. I invented stories and worlds and characters just so that I wasn't lonely all the time. And I began to write them down and illustrate them at the same time. I was influenced a great deal by Star Wars, Star Trek, Alien and Aliens, The Thing, things that I shouldn't have watched or read. (laughs) 80s, just like all Gen Xers. And I loved Transformers, He-Man, She-Ra, Gemino Holograms. The Mighty Orbots was my favorite cartoon of all time. And I was a huge nerd. I made my own astronomy club for my neighborhood friends. They didn't know what to think about me. I was a weirdo. <laughs> I was the weirdest kid anybody knew, including me. So, um, But I was unabashedly waving my freak flag. And just really wanted to tell my own stories. I wanted my own space opera. And so I started writing it at a very young age. I reworked it and redid it over and over until eventually after adulthood came along and after college, I came back to it after my own kids were born and started it over and made it happen.
1: Excellent. And so um, who did you say were your literary idols were?
0: The literary, because I talked a lot about film and TV there. Literary, Yeah. Ray Bradbury is up near the tippy top. L. Frank Baum, because I'm a huge Oz book fan for his original 14 Oz books. And there's my books are heavily sprinkled with Easter eggs related to the Oz books. I loved Stephen King. Didn't read that much of him early on, but I did read Firestarter and Cujo at a very young age, too young. And I love Robin McKinley. She was a great influence on my fantasy side. Uh, her Damar books, you know, the, the Blue Sword and Hero in the Crown were just huge to me, you know, having this strong young woman character who was kind of a nerd herself, you know, ends up being the hero. And I loved um, some of the Larry Niven books and Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, Philip K. Dick, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, and just a nice kind of mishmash of non genre books like the Little House books and Anne of Green Gables, who had well, those books had a big influence on my writing too of these strong willed, feisty heroines.
1: Love it. Yeah. I, uh, as you're listing off some of the, you know, being a fellow Gen X or some of the things that you were listing off the cartoons and shows and things, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that one. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my ears kept perking up going, oh yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that those were very influential, uh, especially for, for kids of that era. And I think you, you talked about reading the books from uh, Stephen King. I remember watching the movies that I shouldn't have watched Yep. Same. Um, uh, <laughs> like Carrie and Cujo and, yep. you know, and having those scare the ever living daylights out of me
0: yeah I think definitely, yeah. you know I never really thought about it before, but Firestarter definitely influenced the telepath side of the Questors on oh. soccer books.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Absolutely.
2: So I know this is a question that Kathleen would ask if she was here. She has a four year old daughter, and you also studied a lot of the sciences, and uh, I think one of them was echo, eco,
0: ecology, and ecology. Least- that's my. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, And so what would be some words of advice that we could give to the younger ones to, you know, I guess, fly their nerd flag and be able to use that passion in what they can do to make a career out of it?
0: I worked both in ecology and clinical research. So I sort of had the sort of health medical side, the people side and then the ecology side. How we fit and how animals fit in the environment, and the non living and living facets of that. And the resounding thing is science and discovery and doing research to discover things that nobody's ever done before, that nobody knew before, that could help us all. And I think taking that as a goal that's sort of kind of wanting to be influenced by superheroes who I love, you know, wanting to do good, and then even though you know, it's, it's not the biggest money-making field, but you feel good at the end of the day that you've done something to help the world and other people and animals, I would say go for it, You know, pursue science because there's so much discovery and it's just always learning and it's always learning cool stuff. And one thing that I really want everyone to know is that if you have a question for a scientist, they love to be asked questions. If you're writing about something that's kind of tricky you don't know a lot about, oh, they want you to email them and contact them. And I've interviewed some scientists too. So definitely run with that, run with the seeking of knowledge to help others.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of knowledge out there to seek. And it seems like we're learning new things every day. We are. And like you think, you know, after being on the earth for however many thousands of years, how we've transitioned through time and in, in getting new technology, and like, I recently saw a video on how they updated the fusion reactor and I was like, well, that's cool. And just kind of finding new materials and new ways to do things is really fun.
0: It is. And this is a really exciting time because of the acceleration of our knowledge. And, you know, we're leaning into new technology and biotech and in technology with AI and internet of things. And so We're figuring it all out and we're discovering things in rapid time. And I think there's just a lot of opportunity for, you know, the environment and for healthcare right now. And it's a really exciting time to be in science and tech.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, basically.
1: I'll go with that. Yeah. I think with, you know, I yeah, we've been the humans have been on the earth, you know, depending on who you talk to, how many ever thousands, millions, trillions of years, whatever. Um, you know, whatever that time frame is, but we've only had electricity what like 100 and some odd years you I mean, real realistically 150 years 200 years whatever um so at least not a you know,
2: battery form
1: yeah and then you go <laughs> then you go from that to the battery form and and all these different things and it just that has exploded the possibility of what humankind can do you know we are no longer tethered to the base unit we can walk away from things and have batteries operate things and It's a, it's a whole different, uh, it's a whole different ballgame nowadays. So yeah, there's some cool things that definitely, uh, so if you're interested in something, don't let somebody tell you that it's not, it's not valuable. Go for it. Exactly. Go have fun with it. So one of the other things I've noticed about this day and age that we live in, not only is it cool because we're no longer tethered to the wall, uh, but we live in the age of the internet review where people like to just bomb things just because they can. And we've talked with other several other authors and creators about this phenomenon. Um, but it's always impressive to me, and especially in this day and age, where a creator of any stripe is able to maintain a review of anything that's over four stars. Uh, because people like to just be negative just because they can. Now, I mentioned all of that to mention this. I had to pitch a clock, tell you the time, that type of thing. Uh, now, in your, in your case, your, your books are reviewed uh on on uh, goodreads.com on an average of 4.59 which is impressive
0: that's by the way
1: yeah <laughs> that is- no that's that is very cool um but your most recent book has a 4.79 the shadow galaxy uh which is even more impressive because that's that's almost unheard of nowadays to have a book rated that highly it's almost a perfect rating um, you know Uh, So, A, congrats on that. That is phenomenal. Uh, Both the 4.59 and the 4.
0: I'm I'm blown away by it, to be honest with you. I I didn't know what to expect with this book. So, I'm just like, every time I'm reading it, I'm going, did I just really read that in that review? Yeah. Bring up John Carpenter and Ray Bradbury and look when. I'm just like, what?
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, some of the reviews I have read about it were just, were so extremely complimentary. And so people are just, oh, they're, they love your work and what you're doing. So for those who are unfamiliar with the, the newest offering, the shadow galaxy, could you take a couple moments and tell people about your book, uh, what it's about, how, you know, how it came to be and, and all that kind of
0: stuff? The Shadow Galaxy is a collection of short stories and poetry published by Trepidatio Publishing, and it just came out March 3rd, so it's pretty new. It is a selection that crosses several genres, and it's broken into different sections based on those genres. And if you would like, I can read to you what those sections are. Yeah, absolutely. Shadow Shores, Tales from the Sea, so these are seaside stories with a lot of mysticism and a little bit of ghost pirate action. Oh, there you and go. The next section dives whole hog into science fiction, and it is called Other Futures, Tales of the Galaxy and a Place Called Earth. And that is a mix of on Earth and in space stories that get progressively creepier. Some of them are really super Doctor Who high adventure, but then they get really spooky toward the end, which leads us into the horror section, into the darkest hollow, Tales of Horror. And there I dive into gothic horror as well as Appalachian sort of cosmic horror. And then I move, I start to lift it up again and I move into love and other moments, traces of the heart with a couple of love stories and one that's perfect for people who hate Valentine's day (laughs) from the pit. And then I move really close to my heart, far Appalachia tales from the ancient mountains some of which are true stories and some of which are magical realism. And then the final section of the book is resonant thoughts, some poetry. And I've got everything from an ode to Acer Sakaram, which is the sugar maple tree and a cursed goblet, which is a vengeful poem. So it's a broad mix. It's a sampler of my range. Each story is very different from the other, but some of them have undercurrents of similarities so that they sort of fit together. And this was a real blast to do when I sent this collection to Scarlet Algie, the editor at Trepidatio. I was expecting, well, first a no, and then I was expecting, well, there'll be a lot of changes, but instead I got a very quick yes and really no changes. And I'm like, what? And <laughs> on the same day that she told me she wanted the book, another book I had just pitched, also got approved. So I got two book deals on one day, and those were my first traditional book deals. So I freaked out and I couldn't tell anyone. Right. So I was like spending just like, ah! and it was like a couple of <laughs> separate times. I was able to release the little publisher's marketplace deal report. And I tell you, it's been a real adventure ever since, but I'm just so honored and pleased that it's out there, that, that readers love it. Um, you know I recently had an interview with my hometown public library in Kingsport Tennessee about the book and about why it was important for me to talk about Appalachia and um, try to try to dispel some of the negativity around where I'm from for example because I live in Los Angeles now but my heart is still very much in the in the ancient mountains
2: I I I think it's going to be cool when people from the far future end up finding some of like the ancient manuscripts or the manuscripts of today that are now ancient in future times but then they're like wait there was this weird myth or legend about a certain place and like I don't know I just think that'd be interesting how they think certain things might have been true
0: right yeah
1: Yeah, I kind of look at how we we look at at writings from you know the 1700s and and some of the tall tales that were told around that time and and things like that because those things have morphed over the centuries into some of the stories that are are prevalent and being passed along today so yeah I think that's a very cool concept what you have there and I can see why it's so popular uh, because that's a nice cross-section of of stories that can be told and and uh, yeah, I think that those are even stories. And I know that they're shorter stories, but those sound like a lot of stories that could be expounded upon and made into bigger things in the future.
0: Well, on that note. Oh. The novel, I, the novel I'm currently writing, because I have a novel on submission that's a dragon fantasy, my first on sub with an agent. Okay, that's, we'll put that over there. We can talk about that later. Okay. But the novel I'm writing right now is directly connected to a short story in this called The Scaffold. And that is a lab sort of academia, creepy story in this book that ends very abruptly, but you're going to find out what's going on at the same time as that story and what happens next. This is, mm. the story is incredibly creepy sci-fi near future mystery with some horror to it. So it's a spooky one and I'm working on it right now. I'm about halfway through it and I plan to turn it in sometime probably May or June to my agent, but we won't we won't send it out until we hear back about the dragon one because it's i write really fast and so my agent's like you probably have like three books written by the time we hear back <laughs> and then after that i'm moving on to a very different book for the rest of the year so anyway but yeah so in addition to that we're keeping a close eye on which of these stories people love the most because i have already thought out quite a bit mm. related to That's some cool. of the short stories Void Mage. Void Mage is one of them. And One Evening in Fogvale is another. And then the Cosmic Horror Universe that I'm kind of building. There's also a short story that you can read online right now called Night on Preston's Bald. It's published on the Janus Literary website. And that is another Appalachian Cosmic Horror. So there's a, there's a universe I'm building here that's sort of creeping from space into earth at different points in time. Mm. But you also have a benevolent side or maybe it's benevolent, you know, like the people in Fogvale mm-hmm. could go either way. So there's there's this sort of factions they're sort of lining up in my stories. And um that's becoming really fun. <laughs> that's
2: cool. That is like I feel like that is really unique coming out with a set of like short stories and, and stuff, but then launching off of that into actual worlds. I don't know of any other offer, authors who have done that.
0: Bradbury.
2: Oh, Bradbury did? Okay.
0: Yeah, so in uh, Dandelion Wine is an expansion of a really creepy story, a short story of his, and you know, that story takes place within the rest of Dandelion Wine, and it ends very scarily and abruptly, but you find out what happens in Dandelion Wine, so I really loved that. I was like, oh my god, yes, I want, I'm not doing that with all of them. Some of them are a slam door, and I'm sorry, but that's unfortunately the way things went badly for these people you know sorry and done yeah yep bye thanks for your service but you know <laughs> but others will have another another story or two coming down the line
1: Hmm. Well, cool sounds
0: like
2: fun
1: well take a minute though uh, since we, we we talked about it right here so we might as well you know the cat's out of the bag let's talk about it a little bit tell us about the dragon story and what's going on with that since we're right here and it was mentioned
0: okay so the the, book, the second book that's coming out this year, The Amethyst Lantern is a lunar punk sci-fi set in the future. We can talk about that too, because it comes out October 24th from Android Press. I released the cover recently, it's beautiful. So you got to see the cover um, if you haven't yet. It's beautiful, um, designed by Kim Hertz and with my feedback. So I, I had finished that book, which was like 90,000 words right at the time, like right before my agent and I were sort of having these talks. So she knew I had these two book deals and I got the one book done. I signed with her. We go down through my list. I had been pitching two completely unrelated novels, one of which was a middle grade dark fantasy and the other one, which was a a near future sci-fi kind of post-apocalyptic thing. And I was pitching those. But when I signed with Laura, she was like, actually, let's go through all your IP. And I had many dozens of stories in different stages and so we went down through and she was like let's do this one this one and this one I'm like all right cool so the first one is a dragon fantasy and strong heroine you know and we it's it would be like a YA adult crossover but we're thinking it probably it probably is going to end up being YA and so we may have to recalibrate who all has it uh, because it's on submission now. That's my first partnership with my agent. Um, my first time ever being on sub, which is quite terrifying in a lot of ways um, and occasionally demoralizing. <laughs> 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 uh, because like, but you know, the thing is, is like I've heard stories and Scott Sigler, I think is one of them who he had a book on sub forever. It got just complete declines over and over and over and over. And then finally one of them came back and gave him this huge offer. And then that changed his whole career instantly. So, I've heard really good feedback about the quality of this book, and it's just the age. We don't know where it's going to shake out, right? So, and we're waiting to hear back from several publishers, most of which are, are big five, and then sort of the strong independent publishers. Um, all, all, all publishers are strong. I'm just going to put it like that. But you know, it's just like various tiers. And so I'm really curious who's going to go for it. You know, people are reading it right now. It's kind of freaking me out. Um, Cause I've never had any of my work in front of big five editors before. And so they're looking at it now. It, it if one of them came back next week and said, we want it. I mean, we probably still would not have a copy of that book until 2025 is probably hmm. what I'm being told because, because of the schedule and supply stuff and just everybody's slotting in, you know, so, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And then like, like I have another book almost done. That's going to go to a different set of editors. It's a very different book. And then after that, I have a, a very gruesome, dark humor, horror book later in the year. That's really hilarious too. It's like savage. And that's going to go to a very different set of editors. It's too. So it's, it's all kind of, I'm, I'm hitting all my favorites, the fantasy, the sci-fi, the horror. Those are my big three. And all the subgenres among them I love. I love to read them, watch them, and I love to write them.
2: You're, you you I am looking forward to diving into your books even deeper because I'm really enjoying what you have to tell me about it so far. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a, it's really strange and surreal to feel like you know, with with the Questerson saga, heliopause, ephemeris, accretion, and luminiferous, which you're right behind me. Right Those
2: are really cool names, by the way, I was like, I think those are space terms and I was looking those up and I was like, "Hmm."
0: and then of course, luminiferous is kind of leaning into sort of a metaphysical old term. And that's on purpose because of the nature of the book, but uh, it's, that was the space opera that I started cooking up as a young teen and I reworked over time. And and it's a pretty broad epic, like heliopause is really just the tip of a very big iceberg. And in, in a lot of ways, ephemeris could start the series and it did and i went back and wrote heliopause later um, and wove it in but um, i do feel like though that heliopause does stand alone too so you could they all fit together though and there's hints throughout heliopause for things that come much later so i always make sure that all my books have little easter eggs so if you reread them you'll be like oh i know what this is oh my god you know i forgot you know i love doing stuff like that
1: awesome
2: so we have a Facebook group that has about 211,000 members and it is just filled with memes, memes galore where Lovely. things are, are this is mashed with this and, and a bunch of what ifs kind of thing. Oh my uh, God. It, Yeah, we are it's a lot of fun to kind of watch. Uh so which story of yours would you like to live in and Which sci-fi character would you bring with you?
0: Now, is that my own sci-fi character or somebody else's?
2: I was gonna say somebody else's sci-fi character, but you guys will come and like live in one of your worlds.
0: Ephemeris. It would be, now in Ephemeris, Galadea visits several planets, but she starts off on the star city Demetron. And then she goes to the planet Ricoloid, which is sort of a Hades Demeter story. Demetron is similar to Demeter. So that was on purpose. Um, so that's a little bit of a Hades-Persephone retelling. Only a bit. And mm-hmm. then right there on Ricoloi, the space mage Ariad has captured an asteroid. He keeps it about a mile above the surface of the planet. And he has a castle on it because he can. And that's just how he rolls. So that would be a fun lark. But then we would go to Perpetua, which is a lot like Oregon would have been before humans ever set foot in it. And um, that's a beautiful, wild planet with secrets back in the woods. And I really like Perpetua. I will say, though, in the book Luminiferous, though, the planet Quopeia, where the whole first act and part of the second act takes place, is a really pretty neat planet. And I've thought about it for many decades. And I've, I've got species and maps and, you know, the whole travel guy is dedicated to Quopeia. And the city of Alurilla. there is sort of, my love letter to san francisco okay through through a spacey lens but also how it's it's just one pocket of civilization on a very wild planet and i love that planet so it's a lot of fun but it's dangerous you know you need people who know what they're doing on that planet right character i bring with me yes um, probably spock (laughs) i could (laughs) use Spock's help with some of this crazy stuff because, you know, some of my characters are, they're pretty passionate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He would know what to do with those kinds of people.
1: <laughs> he All deals time. with passionate, yeah. He deals with a passionate person quite often. So, yeah.
0: Yes.
2: Your, your emotions are illogical.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he would look at Gala and be like, your hair is behaving illogically. <laughs> <laughs> because it does.
2: <laughs>
1: so. All right. All right. Those are good choices. We like those. All right. So as you know, a little while back, we interviewed your husband, Gareth L. Powell, who is another amazing sci-fi author. So with two amazing authors in the family, how do you guys not only encourage one another when maybe the going gets tough, but do you guys like bounce ideas off each other from time to time? And do you get to call dibs if you like the idea better?
0: (laughs) We bounce ideas off each other every single day. We have, we've even pitched a couple of both fiction and nonfiction stuff to publishers, but I mean, I wasn't as well known at first that, that that's changing. Now I have an agent and I have book deals. Um, I don't know that we will team up because our schedules are not in alignment because I have, I have a lot to write, you know, and then he's, sure. he's in the throes of writing some new stuff too. But it really helps to have that, a person who understands what you're going through what you've been through. And we've been friends for six years. We knew each other from Twitter. So we've watched each other kind of grow and expand, you know, and then we always compare notes and we're like nerd out over stuff. We, we both love aliens so much. And we have, we just, we we're always chatting about nerdy things and exchanging ideas. See, I get to read his stuff for before anybody else. And he gets to read mine and we give feedback. We never, we are very different in our writing styles, um, and in, 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 methods as well. So I feel like we're never stepping on each other's toes. Once in a while, we'll kind of get kind of close. Um, that happened kind of recently with one story, but I ended up doing a short story kind of in that realm and he did a book. So, you know, like we don't, we don't really compete with each other. We're always helping each other out. It's a lot of fun. Mm. It's the most fun I've ever had, you know, it's just, um, I can't even describe how fun it is. It doesn't work for everybody to to be a writer couple, but in our case, it's very good.
1: Right. Very cool. Yeah, I, uh, we, I honestly, we really enjoyed talking with Gareth and uh, I found that after a couple of minutes, it just, it took me a minute to kind of warm up to his sense of humor, but he has a very good sense of humor Um, and because he was I didn't realize that he has a little bit, it, to me anyway, it seemed like it was a little bit of a dry sense of humor coming in, but it was. A, it's a sneaky sense of humor. He he, he he catches you before you realize it. And then all of a sudden you're going, wait a second. That was a joke. He was, he was slipping something in there.
0: Yeah. We try to out-pun each other all the time. I'm really, oh, I, love it. I make the worst puns on earth. I used to call myself <laughs> the pun empress. And so like we were the ultimate pun couple. And we just, we're always... Half the time we're always joking with each other, and just makes each other go, "Oh God, God, terrible!" You know, it's <laughs> a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, my day is not complete until I I tell my wife the worst dad joke I could find that day,
0: and I, I tell the worst mom jokes. So it's like Gareth's the worst dad jokes, I'm the worst mom jokes, and we we torture our poor teens.
1: It's good for him. Don't worry about it. It'll, it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> Character building.
1: Exactly. That's what at least what I tell my kids, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, suck it up. You'll be fine.
2: (laughs) So earlier you were talking about how you are a fast writer. Um, so what does your process look like? Like I've we've met several writers and they all seem to have their own process of how they write a book.
0: Well, I'm also a science writer. So the fire of the deadline heavily influences everything I do. And I've noticed that other journalists write incredibly fast fiction also that makes us prolific because we get done with a lot of it faster and can just move on in the next one and the next one we don't want to stop and so that's very much the kind of writer i am i i plow through i know what i want to write and i just sit down and i do it you know when i can and i don't beat myself up if i don't do it every day i don't believe that you have to write every day that's that's me I'm very much, I know the story. I know the whole picture. And I like to describe it as when you get a jigsaw puzzle and you dump all the pieces out, right? I always like to make the frame, the outer frame, so that I can fill it in. So that's kind of how I approach writing a novel. It's a little bit different with a short story, which now I write both, right? So um, with a novel, though, you know, I've got that framework. I know how it's going to be to go, I know it's going to end. I do let the characters get nice and distracted a few times along the way. And I just like, I don't know what you're doing, but I guess you're pulling me along. So, but I still, you know, I always get there in the end. So, you know, I, it's just, it's almost kind of, to me, like I have a movie in my head and I just have to get it out. And with a short story, I'll have a kernel of an idea. And oftentimes I just have to blast it out like fire from my fingers just instantly get it done and get it off my desk and move on to that. I'm just writing all the time. And so, you know, it's, it's a very different sort of process from science writing in which you have to go do quite a bit of research. And I try to find really good quality sources using Google Scholar and using actual scientific papers, reading through all that, and then distilling it down into an article, right? But that's still the process of distillation of going either from knowledge or from ideas and then you distill it down and make the framework make it happen get it on the page i don't sweat it about edits at first i'm interested in getting it done and then i will go back in as they say fix it in post
1: yeah we say that often <laughs> we'll
0: fix it in post <laughs> i mean because i don't want to dwell on it i want it done because I'm, I'm ready for the next and the next and the next and the next i don't want anything stopping me from writing all these things i'm just i feel the fire because I. I delayed getting these books out for so long in my life that I was like, I'm not waiting anymore. I'm not waiting mm-hmm. for it. I'm writing this. And I think that's good advice for anybody It's just get it done. Don't sweat it. If you don't feel like it's perfect, it's not your job to feel like it's perfect. It's your job to get it done. And then it can be cleaned up, but you can't clean up what you don't finish.
2: That's true. So are you like a pen and paper type person or are you like index cards or... Or do you just get on the computer and just start going?
0: I don't do the cards. I just write it, you know, like I just blast it out and um, get it done. You know, I sometimes if I'm out somewhere, like if I'm at school pickup with my boys and I'm like, ooh, the perfect aspect of this one scene just kind of crystallized in my head. I get out my phone and I will either dictate it or write it on the notes app very quickly and then go put it back in because sometimes you know, like I was saying, it's like a movie in my head. Well, I'm kind of always directing in my head. I'm always like envisioning the scene and where I want everyone, okay, you need to be saying this and your face is going to look like that. You need to be in this position, you know, and that's kind of how my brain works. And then I just write that down. So, you know, I, yes, yes, I do want to work in movies at some point, but that's a whole nother subject.
2: (laughs) So would you ever like to see your books come to a screen near you?
0: Absolutely. You know, preferably small screen actually, because particularly with the series, I think that, you know, it would make more sense for character development and world building mm-hmm. to have a series. But um, you know, some of the stories in here could could make a movie though that would just be one and done.
1: All right, Diane, we have one final question of the interview phase for you. And we like to call this our silly question. And so you can answer this as silly or as serious as you see fit. Okay. All right, Diane, what's your theory on Bigfoot?
0: I am a cryptid loving person. I'm a cryptid loving and accepted person. I'm also a woman of science, but there's a lot that I cannot prove until I see it myself. I love him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I put this question in because I was doing something earlier today and I remember this show, I, goodness gracious, I think it was on... Uh, TLC, which was oddly enough called the Learning Channel, and learned nothing from this. Um, but it was the, the the Bigfoot show where they were like hunting Bigfoot, and yeah. and I don't know where I I stumbled across like a uh, I think it was a TikTok uh, of that, and the guy was like doing the the what he said were the Bigfoot noises. Sounds
0: <laughs> very. And he's funny. like trying.
1: Yeah, trying to do a Bigfoot call and, you know, <laughs> what, what he knew the, oh, okay. And every time I see that clip and it's, it had been years since I had actually watched that because I, I watched it because it, it was one of those things. It was like a train wreck. You just couldn't stop watching it.
0: Right. What,
1: it was so bad. I wanted to see what horrible thing they were going to do next. What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, but I had stopped watching it because I, I was, I could feel like my, my IQ just IQ dripping out of my so ears.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's why you
1: didn't learn anything. Exactly. Right. Uh, and.
0: Sieve, you know,
1: <laughs> and, and so then, yeah, I had to put that in there because then there was the, the clip of the guy doing the
0: oh, 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 noise. Anyway, oh my God, like Chewbacca or something.
1: A very bad Chewbacca, a Chewbacca yeah. with like a, a upper respiratory infection,
0: gargling salt water or something. But yeah, <laughs> I I have to tell you though, so I I am writing. There's a story I'm writing which may never see the light of day, or maybe I'll publish it myself. But it's about cryptids, and it's hilarious. And it's kind of like, it's also touching. It's got some, it's got some spooky parts too, but it, it's, it's very fun. And I, because I'm a road trip queen, I love to go see all the things that different regions are known for. I lived in the Pacific Northwest for several years. You know, I grew up in East Tennessee. And I have to tell you that there is a cryptid in Appalachia called Wood Booger. <laughs> Wood Booger. Wood Booger is basically the Bigfoot of Southwestern Virginia. And, yeah so educate yourselves there's like a wood booger cafe and you can go get a pretty killer breakfast or lunch and also has these large paintings and cutouts and you can put your face through and your wood booger okay i'm not making this up um i love it they are but i'm not and uh but yeah you've got to google wood booger and you can oh i did shirts. okay <laughs> you can even get shirts right t-shirts of course we have one so um <laughs> um But yeah, so I I love stories about cryptids. The crazier, the better. I like to write them. Um, Never have seen one. But you know what? I just don't, I don't judge and I don't begrudge, you know, on that one. And you could even theoretically debate the ecology of cryptids. I would love to write that actually. And maybe I should.
1: Yeah, I I totally wasn't Googling it as uh, (laughs) you were talking about it.
0: The drill, that's it. Good food by the way
1: i just like this is fantastic
2: <laughs> I, I love that they take a steak knife and like jam it through the burger like
0: yeah
1: this is very entertaining
0: yeah um, it's worth a stop the food is actually pretty good too so
2: where Outside was that again?
0: again it's in southwest virginia i believe it was in norton virginia
1: okay norton virginia norton actually i think that's not too far from where my buddy lives i'm gonna have to check that out
0: oh dude yeah he's gotta go it's in oh virginia. yeah wise county right so yeah
1: yeah I'll, I'll trust me i'll be checking this out uh yeah. a little with a little more in depth because i'm supposed to go down and visit them in virginia here uh, in about a month maybe two so yeah, um, I'll,
0: I'll be there in in june so i'm totally going back to the Woodburger grill and getting more merch
1: i love it that's fantastic
0: and Garrett's coming with me he gets to meet my family back east and he gets to cool. see Woodburger, maybe wood booger yeah
1: plus it's just fun to say Woodburger.
0: wood booger wood the, <laughs> the more you learn right more you right learn.
1: i learned more today on this not the <laughs> tlc than i ever did on tlc i
0: think maybe i should have a show on cryptids you know what i'm saying like why don't we just start a cryptid show there you go i'll <laughs> do that. you know like and and it can be like instead of like diners dive-ins and whatever like cryptids and dive dine dive bars uh, whatever we can just diners and cryptids oh my
2: that sounds fun
0: i that's tax write off
2: this is fantastic
0: yep. no i am thinking there's there's something there we can just mm-hmm. start, like, travel dive. okay I'm i gotta
1: just... put my phone i gotta put my <sighs> phone away i am just googling images of wood booger now
2: and the food looks amazing and i was getting distracted what by that me? too so I
0: know. i'm like what is this place doing in the middle of nowhere with this food this good i no shade. I'm a Southerner. Okay. But at the same time, it was like next level.
2: Yeah. No, I just imagined the wood as the chef in the back.
0: Probably is. anyway.
2: <laughs> well, Diane, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your works?
0: All right. So you can go to my website, jdiannedotson.com. I will spell it. Diane has two N's in it. Because my parents wanted me to stand out a little bit. J-D-I-A-N-N-E D-O-T-S-O-N.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and most social media handles at jdiandotson.com. Again, that is J-D-I-A-N-N-E-D-O-T-S-O-N. And my books are available in paperback or ebook. I do have good news that the Ann the Amethyst Lantern will be my first audiobook. And hardback. So that comes on cool. October. And um, you can go to Android Press and pre order it there uh, for the paperback and ebook already. And so,
2: the cover does look amazing.
0: I love it. Of course, I'm very fond of lighthouses, and, and the, the amethyst lantern is the lighthouse on the cover. And of course, it's based on my favorite Cape Hatteras light, except it's purple and white. So nice. Uh, anyway, yeah, come find me. And I mm. would love for you to get my books, read them.
2: And I hope you enjoy them. Oh, very cool. We will make sure that we put those links
1: into our show notes so our listeners can help check them out. Awesome. Yeah. And we want to take this opportunity to remind you guys that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to ensure that we continue to grow and get amazing guests like J. Diane Dotson here today to have these great conversations. And you get to find out stuff like, you know, Booger and things I like that. that. So please subscribe that uh, helps more than you'll ever know and be able to uh, be sure to check out Diane's work as well. She's got some cool stuff coming up, but if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That of course is the galactic terrorist Posh town who will stop at nothing to achieve his evil goals. Even if that means practicing on you until a time presents itself to be even more gloriously evil because it doesn't, he doesn't want his evil skills to ever go to waste. So submit just one copy of your complaint outlining why Nick and I are bad podcasters. Just keep in mind that if your complaint isn't up to snuff, you could be snuffed as well. So that's a thing. So be careful. (laughs) But first, just know that Nick and I are very sorry, and we want to apologize. We're not bad people. We're just bad podcasters.
2: Kathleen's the better podcaster, apparently.
1: Clearly. Well, she wasn't here today, and I didn't feel like it was fair to group her into the Suck suckatitude but you know hey it is what it is well thanks again diane thank,
0: thank you. you diane thanks so
1: much all right guys that's going to conclude us for the fsf podcast goodbye ciao on behalf of the rest of the hosts of the fsf podcast we want to thank you for listening to this episode if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode please contact us by means of twitter or instagram using the handle @fsfpopcast. Or go to www.fsfpodcast.com and click on the contact link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2023 FSF Popcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Popcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.